0: Hey what up y'all, it's your boy Val And Welcome to Sideshow Conversations A cringy podcast for the geek inside of you Previously on X-Men Hey, what's going on everybody? And welcome to another edition of Sideshow Conversations, episode two with your host, Val Cisco. And today, I'm riding solo. I'm riding solo. I'm riding solo. No guests today, so it's gonna be me and my dolo uh, for those of you who are new to this podcast, this is a podcast for the geek inside of you at its most cringiest. And it gets cringier every time you listen to it. If you all know the type of person I am, I am one of the weirdest, cringiest nerds out there. A Bronx boy living in Arizona talking about comics, talking about video games and all that jazz. I have way too much things to talk about, so here I am, here we are. So, let's kind of get into it. And before we get started... Let's talk about um, our rating system. Uh, This is a podcast where I do rate things. Um, Let me play a little bit of a bumper right here so everybody can get familiar. Bane here, letting you know about our rating system. If we hate something, we 86 it. If we kind of like it, we're kind of sort of on the fence about it, we give it a mid-card. And of course, if we love it, if we think it's just as good as the shadows, if it's just as good as breaking the bats, we give it a big top. So remember, ladies and gentlemen, if you hate it, maybe sex it. If you kind of like it, give it a mid card. If you want to break the bats, give it a big top. Yeah. Yeah, that's something new, right? Trying to do a little bit different things here in Sideshow Conversations, you know, trying to step my game up a tad bit into podcast land as I sip down my nice ice cold cup of whiskey with a little bit of Coca-Cola inside, you know, just to wet my whistle. So yeah, that's new for you guys. Let's um go into our first segment, which is nothing to play. We're going to talk about video games. You know, I remember the simple days of my ColecoVision, my Atari, and my Nintendo Entertainment System. Wait, how old are you again? Alright, alright, let's get down to the nitty-gritty over here. Today's topic of discussion will be Mortal Kombat 11, MK11, a fighting video game developed by NetherRealm Studios and published by Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment and is the 11th main installment in the Mortal Kombat series, um, of course, is a successor to Mortal Kombat X-10, yes, however you want to say it right there, um, I picked this bad boy up for the Xbox One, a nice little discount for that uh, ultimate edition as well too and um i don't know i came into this with mild expectations if anything i had higher expectations for mortal kombat x for anyone who does fucking know me they know that i love some mortal kombat um going from mortal kombat 1 all the way to the mythologies um to the movies um your soul is mine um to even mortal kombat deception which people crap on but i kind of like it as well too um, Mortal Kombat is very near and dear to me You know, from my childhood Going to my cousin Johnny's house And playing Mortal Kombat 3 And just being mesmerized from it On the Super Nintendo um, But I really wasn't that hyped for eleven. I felt like it peaked at ten, And with all the characters that came with that And the new graphics And the, just the, the fighting engine that was developed I don't know, I just I had higher expectations And I love all those new characters that were coming in um, Cassie Cage, um, Devorah um, Jackie Briggs Things like that even the older characters like Jax, um, Kano and whatnot, I just felt like uh they were upgrades to Mortal Kombat Nine in 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 a superior way. And going into Mortal Kombat Eleven, you know, I heard a criticism when that first trailer dropped. Um it I was like, oh, man, the graphics kind of took a downfall and I'm going to try to experiment new things. And Mortal Kombat is going to go crazy again and fall into a pit. Uh, no pun intended. Oh, toasty! Um, but, yeah, I grabbed this bad boy. And first off, you know, when you play any kind of fighting games, you know, you just want to get into it and just get into the mechanics. And um, I noticed how fluid this game was. Um, going into it, just trying different characters out. Um, I went into the newer characters as well, too. Um, uh, there were a couple of new characters. The Collector, who is, um, as you guessed, a kind of like a scavenger collector kind of character. Um, I think his name is uh, Cetrion and Generis. I probably botched that name right there. <coughs> a couple of new characters in this game as well, too, that seem pretty fun. Um, of course, they're essential to the story's plot when you play story mode or conquest mode or story mode. We're going to go little story mode there. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, um, uh, I went into it, and I liked it. I like the fact that they, um, beefed up the mechanics with the fighting systems. Um, the combos are pretty crazier. Fatalities, they're decent. They're not as brutal as Mortal Kombat X, especially with the x-ray attacks. You don't get that bone breaking anymore. It's more just brutality, in a way. But still satisfying, in my opinion. Um... The story so far that I've been playing it has been pretty okay. I think I enjoyed Mortal Kombat's uh, exit story just a little bit better, especially with the legacy characters that you get to play with and how they develop throughout the game. This one right here has to deal with time travel, which I kind of feel like we got that in Mortal Kombat 9. Let me go here and just take a swig. Mm-hmm. You know, for a beautiful Monday, it's nice to just get a, a nice cold cup of whiskey with a little bit of Coca-Cola kind of takes those Monday blues out the window. I digress. So, um, we get a a time-traveling story. Of course, in the last game, uh, Raiden turns into Dark Raiden again. Um, you get Liu Kang and Katana kind of like the Emperor's Outworld in a way. So, you have that dynamic as well, too. But they bring back a lot of classic characters that were killed off, essentially, from Mortal Kombat 9. So, you get Baraka back again. Um, you get Eren Black again. Um get younger versions of, K- of of Kano and Cabal, which is pretty cool. Um, Shao Kahn makes an appearance again as well, too, to take on Kotal Kahn. You know, there's a lot of awesome characters. Frost makes an appearance again, as, but she's more of in, like, a mecha form. Kind of like um, what they do with Cyrax and Sector, but just a little bit more developed. So, I guess that was cool. Strange, but cool. But, I don't know, from what I'm playing, maybe I just have to go a little bit deeper. But... I'm not as hyped as I was with Mortal Kombat 10 story. But that does not take anything away from the game. I do love the crypt in this game. You go to Shang Tsung's Island and you get to just discover everything about that island. And there's a whole bunch of unlockables where it's fatalities. Kind of like your standard crypt. But I don't, I don't know. It just feels more But like there's more to do in the crypt. Um, I do like the fact that the costume system is vast. Uh, at least every character has about almost 25 costumes that you can unlock some of them are just different shades some of them are actual different sorts of costumes you get the classic sub-zero costume of course um different outfits for johnny cage different outfits for showing a blade as well too ranging from military to the classic you know workout outfits as well too um different um customizable equipment kind of like what they did with injustice 2 just not as crazy one thing about injustice 2 that i did not like although i love the fighting system i didn't like how Everything was customizable, from the the sneakers all the way down to Batman's cowl. Like, maybe some people did like that to make their own version of Batman. I'm a simple man that likes simple pleasures, so if you give me a standard costume that I can unlock, um, I like that. So, rock and roll when it comes to that. Hell, we even got Johnny Cage's mime outfit, which is pretty cool as well, too. So, me, personally, I absolutely love this game. I think that it's pretty fun to play from the special things you could do, like the crypt. Um, the brutalities and fatalities are pretty fun. And the DLC, from what I'm hearing so far, is pretty dope as well, too. Things like Nightwolf, things like Sindel, things like Shang Tsung, which I'm really hyped about. And Spawn. Really, really, really Spawn, motherfucker. Spawn! Everybody knows that I love Spawn. And plus two other characters, supposedly we're getting Ash from the Evil Dead. It's, it's kind of getting me a little bit hyped right here. Um, the other characters in this game, like Nude Cybot, are pretty cool, um, uh, who else is in this game that's, you know, Jade's pretty dope, Cabal's pretty dope as well, too. Everybody ha- feels different, which is, that's what I like the most about this game. Everybody has a soul in a way. Your soul is mine. So, no pun intended, but still. <laughs> um, um, I kind of like it from newer characters as well, too. They're okay. They're not as crazy. Um... But hey, they're trying something different, and it kind of works out. Me, I give it a big top, um, a little big top, not not a high big top, but maybe a low big top. There's some expectations that I thought could have been a little bit better as far as the fatality systems and the X-ray attacks, but. Uh, the gameplay is fluid and everything seems pretty dope in this game so yep big top all the way guys get it have fun with it play it and let me know what you think of it as well too i know people out there in my job and outside there are hyped about this game and hyped about the dlc so i want to see mortal kombat succeed we have a upcoming series or i believe it's a series coming out as well too it's either a movie or a series i want to say a series so i'm kind of hyped about that mortal Kombat's very near and dear to me like i said Playing the classic Mortal Kombat games, playing mythology, playing Deadly Alliance, hell, even Armageddon, the the, the bad version, (laughs) Um, uh, still holds a place in my heart. So with the mythology that happens in this game, the different characters of Outworld and Earthrealm and things of that nature, I get hooked very easily. Especially if you give me a good story with some good lore, I get hooked. So yep, big top all the way, guys, get this game. It's pretty dope. Pretty fun, and challenge me if you dare. Um my Xbox tag name, whatever you want to call it, is the Suplex Rex it's a raging motherfucking T-Rex staring at you. So please add me and um play me if you dare. I'm gonna take another swig over here. Mmm. 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 Ah, whiskey. Uh, so yeah, that was Mortal Kombat. I advise you guys to go out there and have some fun with that. But yeah, I've been playing some other games as well too um, Definitely when um, E3 launched With their Microsoft um, Panel They did um, Talk about that um, The Game Pass Ultimate Edition Which um, for a dollar you can sign up to it And get Game Pass With uh, Xbox Live as well too um, So for a dollar And then fourteen ninety nine a month which is a steal I actually um, Stopped using the Gold Pass Because I was using Game Pass for a while And, um, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't let this down. I couldn't let this, um, go by, so, um, I opted into it. And, man, I love Game Pass. I've been doing it for about a good three months so far. And all the games on it right now, um, especially Vampire... Uh, Vampire is a fantastic game uh, Very much like a gothic thriller Kind of in the lines of Bloodborne Just not as fucking hard Um, I love games like that as well too Um, They have the Walking Dead series From the Telltale games as well too Um, And you know what I even fucking went back to play Saints Row as well too So although Mortal Kombat Takes um, the helm right now And takes the main stage I gotta shout out love to Vampire um, Saints Row and, of course, I even went back and played Fable number 2. Fable fucking 2 is amazing. It's one of my favorite RPG games of all time. Um, just a game in, in its own. Um, fond memories playing it when I was younger on the Xbox 360, along with Blue Dragon. So, um, to play it again and just relive my childhood, uh, make decision, decision-making games in a way that alter your future. I love games like that. So, hell yeah. If you guys get the Game Pass or at least get the Ultimate Game Pass edition do it. It's a steal. It's pretty dope. There's other games on there like um the Arkham series is on it as well too, so when you get a chance, just do it. 15 bucks a month, why not? Anyways, let's get on to our new segment over here or not our new segment, <laughs> our next segment, but it has a new bumper. So let's go ahead and play that. I'm all over the bumpers right now. Let me know how you guys feel about the bumpers. If they're fucking annoying, please let me know. If they're not, and you get a kick out of them, please let me know. I'm alone, I'm bored, and there's nothing to watch. Yeah, so that happened right there. (laughs) Let me know what you think. Anyways, uh, we have two shows that we want to talk about today on the table. Um, Two coming out of the DCU streaming service. Um, One of them is The Talk of the Town, especially after last week. And um, the other one is a show that, I don't know if people gave it a chance, but it's pretty fucking awesome. So let's talk about the big news of the week, Swamp Thing. And for people who know me, I am a huge Swamp Thing fan. Ever since I was six years old, I've loved Swamp Thing from the movies to the comic books all the way down to even the anime and TV show Swamp Thing. Down, 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 down. It was so bad, but it was so good as well too. I don't know. I'm very weird when it comes to movies and C-list movies like The Toxic Avenger and even Swamp Thing at the time. You know. So looking at this right here, um, Swamp Thing is getting a, a real big push with some great production behind it. I was hyped. When that first trailer dropped, I absolutely loved it. Seeing those red eyes come out of the swamp and just, oh, it gave me chills. It gave me exactly what I wanted. Taking a swig right here. Mm-hmm. Tennessee whiskey. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about it right here and the, the controversy that's um, uh, surrounding it. Swamp thing is an american superhero horror drama web television series say that 10 times fast based on the dc comics character of the same name the series premiered may 31st 2019 on dc universe and in june 2019 the series was canceled one week after the premiere aired so guys this series um, is a superhero horror drama series, kind of like the um, comic book itself, more like a horror series, um, based on the character Swamp Thing. Um, it stars Crystal Reed, uh, Virginia Madison, Andy Bean, Derek Mears, um, and a star sort the cast as well, too, from TV that you've seen as well, too. Uh, Will Patton, Kevin Durant as well, too, so... Um, Gerald Prescott. There's so many people in this show that make it fantastic. Um, the premise from the premiere episode is Abby Arcane returns home to Louisiana to investigate a deadly swamp-born virus, where she develops a bond with a disgraced scientist named Alec Holland. After Holland tragically dies, Arcane discovers the mysteries of the swamp, and that have. Holland may not have died after all. So, we have Crystal Reed playing Abby Arcane, um, who's very essential to the Swamp Thing mythos. You have um, Andy Bean um, and Derek Myers playing Alconwin and Swamp Thing Prime as well, too. Um, So many um, characters on this as well, too. You're getting um, Gerald Prescott playing Madame Zandu. Um, Hell, you're even getting... um, Characters that I call like B-list characters as well, too um, I'm probably gonna botch his name right here But Ian Ziggren playing Dude devil Dude uh, devil Blue Devil So characters like that, I'm super stoked to see and, and seen so far in the show With those first two episodes that did come out That first episode shocked me That first episode was fantastic It is Everything that you love about reading Alan Moore Swamp Thing Is everything that 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 you love about the dark DCU universe, um, whether it's Hannah or um, um, Swamp Thing or Constantine or whatnot. Um, there's so many different tidbits about this, and Louisiana as a backdrop is just so perfect for the character, and just the production behind this was fantastic. And you definitely get to see um, where the money went to, and then, of course, where... Where they cut costs I mean a lot of times In the first episode It's just more character Driven stories With Abby And this um, strange virus And of course You have um, Alec as well too Trying to Work on developing A cure as well too So It's very much uh, a, a Almost a drama Almost even a crime drama At first Before you even get To Swamp Thing And The politics uh, About um, Diseases In a In a small town And how the town Has to be quiet Um, So that way rumors don't go flying out about people dying in this in this bayou type area. So you get the whole political system and the corruption of uh, politicians and police forces out there and scientists trying to prove them wrong and get this information out to the public, which definitely uh, takes a turn when Alec does get essentially murdered in a way and um, left to die in the swamp, which the swamp, the green, if you will, takes hold of uh, Alec to become the the thing of the swamp, the swamp thing if you will. So um definitely the production when it comes to the characters like Swamp Thing, you see so it's so gritty but so great at the same time. There's parts where you see the green as far as the vegetation coming alive, whether it's uh vines, whether it's trees, whether it's flowers and pollen it, it it just it, it works so well in, in small doses. And, of course, when Swamp Thing comes out himself, his costume design is fantastic. It's straight out of the Alamore comic book. It's, it's mysterious. It's frightening. It's horrible. Especially when Abby sees it for the first time. It's, you, 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 see, um, you just see the horror in people's faces when you see him and the sorrow that Swamp Thing feels because, essentially, he's almost like Frankenstein's monster in a swamp. So, of course, um, just seeing that and, of course, even the, the I want to say enemies or the, the virus that's taking over as well, too, you get a lot of the elements of the rot, um, which is a big thing in the Swamp Thing mythos. Of course, Swamp Thing is... Um, is an entity of the green like Almost like a avatar of the green If you will uh, Protecting all vegetation life on earth Whereas the rot is of course the opposite It's death It's um, seeing disease and Pestilence around everything So having that and those two polar opposites Fight each other Whether it's um, random people Turning into these crazy looking monsters and i gotta say they're crazy literally straight out of a comic book these monsters are like half decapitated in a way where like the neck is just almost about to fall off but it doesn't um body split in half is still walking to you it definitely looks like a a scene out of dead space or alien or of course a swamp thing comic book as well too definitely has a lot of horror movie elements and um a lot of this uh, practical design and prosthetics but a lot of it's um some computer animation as well too um but it's beautiful the story's a little wonky but Swamp Thing is wonky to begin with like you have living vegetation trying to fight you and living rotting or rotting death coming back alive to kill you so I don't know it's just it worked it works so fucking well and of course after May 31st when the the premiere episode um, came out It was released that but um bum 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 It was cancelled And me along with millions of fucking people Are campaigning right now To see why the hell Swamp Thing Is being cancelled And from what we're hearing There's so many different rumors uh, The biggest one is that um, Because of production cost And it was too expensive to be made Another rumor was that It was shot in Louisiana And um, at this time as well, too, they were making investments with Louisiana, but Louisiana could not, I guess, uphold that investment or money. or It was very financial from what I'm hearing as well, too. Another thing I'm hearing is the creative differences, that um, Warner Brothers wanted to be your run-of-the-mill, who's the next supervillain that Swamp Thing's going to fight? And the creators of the show really just wanted to... um, just make it more horror. I mean, you have James Wan who's producing this, who is right now the king of horror movies at the moment in time. Uh, I say that loosely, though. We can talk about that later. Um, um, Michael Clare, um, um, Gary Duberman, I probably <laughs> mispronounced that, and Lynn mm-hmm. Wiseman, all producers on this show as well, too, are fighting. Even right now, when the cancellation was dropped, they're still on Twitter fighting for the show to somehow be picked up by a different network because... Yes, all these episodes will be released on the DC streaming app, but the fact that, number one, it was cut from 13 episodes to 10 episodes, then to be canceled altogether with the, pros- uh, the prospect of a second season that was supposed to be a cliffhanger, I mean, sometimes people just want something different. And you know what? I call it fucking bullshit if it's about production and financials. Um, when you look at different shows like Titans... Titans is another show where, you know, the production was out there, especially with Raven's power set and Starfire's power set. How Beast Boy had to, even though he only changed one animal, he was changing all the time, almost every episode, to a fucking tiger. So, I can't see where all these other shows that have come out on the DC streaming app have these elaborate production designs and money backing them. And a show like Swamp Thing, who I feel that Warner Brothers just didn't, just doesn't see it being marketable. And I have a lot of criticism when it comes to Warner Brothers. I think Warner Brothers is half the reason why um, DC is failing as a movie franchise. I mean, at one point, yes, they were succeeding when it comes to Batman, um, at least with Tim Burton, um, dual movies. Even with the Schumacher movies as well, too, they were kind of successful, although it can not be kind of successful. And even with the Superman movies as well, too. Like I feel like they the Batman trilogy movies with um, uh, Christian Bale. I I feel like they had something before, but now that they try to compete with Marvel and try to make another extended universe, they were just falling all backwards trying to play catch up when they should be doing original content like Swamp Thing. So I don't know. It's just um, it's very disappointing to see um a show like this really get cut off so soon, so fast, especially when even critics are are calling this one of the best um, shows out there revolving superheroes or at least part of a DC franchise. So when your critics are loving this, when the fan base is loving this, but Warner Brothers is pulling the plug, something has to be wrong there. And you know what? With Disney buying out um, Hulu and Netflix kind of trying to do their own thing, I mean... And there's um, talks about something happening with the DC streaming service as well, too. I would love for Amazon Prime just to go ahead and take the series and make it make it what it needs to be. Because I feel like this right here, this is what people want to see. As much as people love Titans, and Titans was great. Titans was great, don't get me wrong. I feel like something different like this, horror, horror-based comic books need to come back again. Or at least horror-based comic book. Movies or TV shows Need to come back again Because people Love the macabre And the The insane And the The hard horrid And The um The masochistic behavior That is in these In these comic books Like Swamp Thing Like Constantine Like Zatanna Um And I could go on as well too With different characters From the DC Dead man and whatnot. Um Yeah like We could have done Something so different Alas though um, we'll see what happens. I'm still going to keep watching this show no matter what. And hopefully DC will see the error in their ways and still um, do something with Swamp Thing. We're going to have to see and find out. But definitely, if I had to give it a rating, I'd give it a motherfucking big top, a high big top. If I can give it five big tops, I would. I think this is one of the smartest, um, craziest, and most important TV shows or web series that DC has made. Um, It took a lot of risks, but at the same time, we see what happened with those risks. So let's get into the second show that's on the DC app that, you know what? I didn't give it enough love when it first came out, and it's not Titans, because I saw Titans, and I was a little late to that party as well, too, but um, this is Doom Patrol, and Doom Patrol, is an American web television series based on... The DC Comics Superhero Team of the same name premiered February 15, 2019, on DC Universe. It is a spin off of Titans with um, characters like Brendan Fraser, uh, April Bobley, uh, Matt Boomer, reprising their roles, as well as Diane Guerrero and Alec Tudick, as well, in this the cast. Um, 15 episodes, and you know what? This is another risky show that i didn't think dc would be invested with but hey they they they, they took a risk and this is an, another fantastic show uh for anybody who doesn't know doom patrol um they're basically like the b team if you will they're people they're not the suicide squad and they're not like marvel's thunderbolts or whatnot they're just um a bunch of Crazy, insane, flawed individuals grouped together to fight against the supernatural and crazies out there in the world. They do the jobs that no one wants to do in the world. Where Superman does not want to deal with fucking magic, these guys will. Um characters in Doom Patrol Um follow Cliff Steele, who plays Robot Man, uh Rita Farr, who's basically the revolting blob, if you will. Um the Negative Man, Larry, who basically is someone who has a um, entity living inside of him made of electricity, if you will. And his body is wrapped up in bandages from being mangled from an airplane accident. Um, and uh, Crazy Jane as well, too, who um, has, I believe, I want to say 64 distinct personalities. And all these personalities have their own power sets as well too, whether it be super strong or materialized fire or whatnot. Just think of the character Legion, but on crack, if you will. Uh, and of course, which is very strange in my opinion, we get Victor Stone playing Cyborg. So I found that pretty interesting um, that we have Cyborg in the in the movies, if you will. And then we have Cyborg who i don't know i kind of like his character in um doom patrol there's you know a lot to grow with it and there's a lot of character development that you're not getting in the justice league movies so i don't know i'm down for this i had my reservations at first but i was down so um let's talk about it doom patrol uh, when it came out in titans it literally was my favorite episode because of the fact i'm taking a little swig right here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. tennessee whiskey um, it was one of my favorite episodes because you got these weird, crazy characters all living in a house, not really doing anything. But when they get riled up, shit happens. I love Brendan Fraser's Robot Man. I think that in, uh, in episode one uses it's great to see Brendan Fraser again. And um, you know, I know he had a a rough couple of years as well too. You know, time hasn't been that kind to him. You know, he's a, a far cry as far as looks go. Uh, from you know Encino Man or fucking George of the Jungle or even on um, his character he played in the Mummy, but honestly this was a come to Jesus moment for him. I thought that this character just fits him, and whether um, that first episode you get to see him in the flesh uh, as his cocky, arrogant race car driver, and then you get to see him play the voice of Robot Man, it's just so good and it fits so well his comedic timing as Robot Man. Uh, just being very literal of everything is just fantastic. Um think of like Dave Batista's Drax. Um just a little bit more stiff stiff and dry one liners. Um but I love it. I love it. I absolutely love it. I love every single character and how episode one you get a great backstory of each character. And just different clues on What they think are make them monsters I mean, hell, even Negative Man You know, you would think that people see him um, As a monster from from the exterior Because of the bandages And because of the entity that lives inside of him But he sees himself as someone Who is a monster that was a test pilot um, Back in his day um, And has, has a family, a wife and kids And he was also hiding the fact that he was gay And in some instances, that made him feel like he was a monster to people because he he needed to hide this. He needed to hide it in a time where that was definitely not accepted. Uh, Especially in the military um, organization, that was definitely not accepted. So, um, to see that backstory, to see the flaws of each character, each and every single character. And hell, even Cyborg just being a flawed character, but being a vigilante and being essentially trying to be the leader of this group as well too... Um, it's refreshing, very refreshing. Not to say that it doesn't have its flaws. It's for being a show that's this out there. The storyline is kind of crazy. Um, the villain, he, who was kind of like Deadpool in a way, fourth wall breaking a narrator, narrator throughout uh, the series, uh, Mr. Nobody. Um, you know, it's it's okay. Um, sometimes, just like how I feel about Deadpool, the joke kind of runs out, uh, wears off after a while, especially if you've seen the movie once or twice, you're kind of like, okay, I guess you you're being cheeky. Same thing with Mr. Nobody, I feel like, um, it gets stale after a while, but honestly, I like the presence. It's crazy, it's kooky, um, it's a, a series that you're easily gonna get turned off if you don't have an open mind. Hell, um, there's a donkey that... Parts out poison gas and has a whole world or universe, pocket universe, that lives inside of it. So that's crazy enough right then and there. Um, you have these crazy characters that shouldn't be existing or shouldn't be on TV, but we're getting that as well, too. So um, I give it, for all the episodes right there, a big top. I think it's a very ambitious show. The characters make this show, even though the story's a little wonky. I think each episode gives something different. And, um, you know, the DC streaming app, um, I feel like they're trying to produce their own kind of content away from Warner Brothers, even though Warner Brothers is connected to it. They're taking risks and they're, they're, it's a, it's an app that I feel is not getting enough love. I was talking to one of my coworkers the other day and I feel like things like Titans and Doom Patrol and Swamp Thing are shows that no one's watching. Um, because of the fact that the DC app is so hard, I wouldn't say hard, but just, it's it's a it's very unnecessary and um, it's unnecessary to look for on certain platforms. Um, you know, it's not on the Xbox One. It's not on the PlayStation, where most of these applications are easy to find. You either have to have it on either um, a phone or a tablet, whether it's iOS or whether it's um, Google. Uh, smart TVs may have it or may not have it. Roku devices and. Chromecast let's try that again may have it as well too but you know very much hard to find and you know you want to support this as much as possible but at the same time if you cannot find it in any other outlet you're not going to watch this on your phone and you're not going to watch this on your tablet that's just ridiculous so sometimes people go through the illegal measures to go ahead and find these shows which is unfortunate because you want to support it and give the app some kind of money or support going into these shows so whether they're going to continue or not i haven't heard for uh, heard uh season two for for doom patrol it's ready to works for a season two for titans and of course we're getting the star girl series as well too coming out uh especially now of all the production costs going to all these other shows and not swamp thing but the fucking swamp thing that's kind of sad but i i still support the dc universe app Uh, Even though they're going through their own craziness right now, and I don't think that it should have been an app in the first place. I think they should have partnered up with an Amazon or with a Netflix since Netflix is losing the Marvel license in a way. Uh, I think this year or next year, I believe. Um, It would have been good for DC to capitalize on that. Um, But we'll see what happens. I believe both of these shows are big tops. I think you guys should watch it. They're extremely fresh. Um, they're different They're unlike anything you see As far as DC television is concerned It's not your Arrow It's not your Flash They are rated R Or at least PG-14 content They're cursing They're having sex There's titties everywhere There's wangs flying around You know It's it's crazy You know They have Robin saying Fuck Batman throughout Titans And whatnot So It's crazy But the same token It's different And it's fun So um, I challenge all of you guys to go out there and find these shows, watch them, and let me know what you think, because like I said, I want these to succeed somewhere, and they only succeed if we're watching them. So hopefully you guys, um, you guys take that for grain of salt, <laughs> and um, yeah, if you have nothing to watch, watch these shows. All right, all right, so yeah, that was a word from one of our sponsors right there as well too, so uh, get at that right there. Anyways, um, I don't have a lot of news right now. This is very much an E3-heavy week right here, so I'll wait for the next podcast and we could deep dive into what E3 has to offer, whether it's from Microsoft, whether it's from Square, Onyx, whether it's from um, WeSoft and whatnot. We'll get into that um, next episode as well, too. Maybe we'll have a special guest so we can talk about E3 in depth. But... Um, We'll kind of wrap it up into the final segment of the evening, which is at the movies, where we talk about the movies on the silver screen, and I have uh, two movies that I do want to talk about that um, uh, are interesting, so uh, I do have a bumper for that, guys, let me know if these bumpers suck, or let me know if I should be changing it up a little bit, I'm doing something new. I know you guys are pretty used to me doing like single shots, if you will, like one shots of these segments. Um, But I kind of want to do something all encompassed, as I mentioned in the last uh, episode. So um, any kind of feedback is great feedback. Um, Let me know. But let me go and play the at the movies bumper. Luke, Luke, it's your dad. Forget about all this fighting, forget about all the lightsaber battles. Hell, forget about the dark side. Let's get some popcorn. Some milk duds. Let's get some cream soda. And let's go watch a movie. All right, all right, all right. So we're going to be talking about the silver screen movies and giving our kind of reviews and opinions based on it. There are going to be spoilers. So uh, spoiler warning to anybody right now who does not want to hear about these two movies. Um... Please go, come back, if you haven't watched these movies. Um, we're going to count it off in about a 3, a 2, and a 1. Are you still there? Alright, so we're going to go ahead. So the first movie we're going to be talking about is Rocket Man, And no, not the 1997 American comedy science fiction movie that stars Harlan Williams about the motherfucker that goes to space. No, we're going to be talking about... The biographical musical film based on the life of musician Elton John, directed by Dexter Fletcher and written by Lee Hall. at stars Taron Ergen. I probably botched that name right there. Let's try that again. Taron Egerton as John with J- uh, Jamie Bell, uh, Richard Madden. Bryce Dallas Howard, who's incredible in this film. The film follows John's early days as a prodigy at the Royal Academy of Music to his musical partnership with Bernie. The film is titled after John's nineteen seventy-two hit classic Rocket Man. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about this movie right here This is a movie that I have been anticipating highly for the last year Since I saw the preview come out last summer And I was, I was all on board This was even before Bohemian Rhapsody hit theaters I already knew this movie was coming out And I'll be very honest I'm a bigger Elton John fan Than I was a Queen fan I know it's blasphemy right there. So no bolt of lightning, very very frightening, but um, I don't know. I just I really gravitate to Elton uh, John's songs. Uh, "Tiny Dancer" is one of the first songs I played to my daughter when she was born. Um, I still do it to today. Um, different songs out there that he's made along with Bernie as well too are just classic hits from. Uh, Almost 50 years of music playing And um, it's so iconic Um, And his story is so iconic as well too Um, Now, did this movie live up to the hype? Um, Going into it I had a feeling it was going to be a musical I didn't read too much about it Because I wanted to be surprised But from the trailers going into it I knew it was going to be a semi-biopic But I had a feeling it was going to be a musical And going into it Definitely musical slash biopic uh, for people who don't like musicals, you're probably not going to like this. Uh, you know what? I'll even say, this too, if you like biopics as well, too, you're probably going to not like this either. Um, it's a decent film. I'll give it a rating right here. It's a mid-card. A high mid-card. I saw it twice. A high mid-card. Um, it has some issues. Um... Historically and thematically It's out of place, out of whack sometimes Especially with the songs You would think maybe some of the songs would Go by the era that they that he's in But they don't um, They just serve for more thematical purposes Which is fine But um, it's a little janky But I think the acting is superb I think um, uh, Taron Egerton He's phenomenal playing Elton John um, He does sing in this in this from what i'm hearing if i'm hearing this correctly as well too and reading correctly he is singing through most of the songs as well too if that is the case i could see why we had someone else sing in Bohemian rhapsody that was not remy um, not to say that that egerton did a bad job there's parts where it just feels just right Maybe not perfect, but just just right. And there's some parts where... And I can understand it. His pain overwhelms the singing. It just sounds very crackly a little bit. And out of place and kind of tone deaf in a way. Um, what do I know? I'm not, a, I'm not an actor and I'm not a singer. or am a producer. A podcaster, barely. But I definitely felt like something was missing there. Um, but he acted great. I think he captured Elton John... Um, like no one else really could, I think um, the 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 sorrow and the depression he captured um, in ways where I almost felt like crying. Um, parts where he just wanted to be accepted from his mother and father. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard, who plays um, uh, Elton John's mother, was. Oh my god, she is such a fantastic character who is semi-supportive, but also gives backhanded comments. It's one of those parents that kind of want to see you happy, but are very selfish themselves as well, too. I kind of know a couple people like that in my life right now. And um, it's just hard to watch, because sometimes they have good intentions. The same token, though, they're very selfish individuals, and you can see how that kind of... That kind of false support can affect a child growing into a man or a woman. Um, his father issues as well, too. Just wanting a hug as a child and the father coming back from war, being hard and hardened from life and seeing death and mayhem. Just does not want to have anything to do with his son in a way. Um, that's just heartbreaking to see. Um, but he finds the love of piano and it's just so great. You know, you see his nana is very supportive as well, too, in his musical career. And um, it's off to the races from there. Like, um, it's very heartfelt at first. Um, then he get into the music, and you know what? I am a fucking fan of musicals. You know, I will say that La, La Land is one of my favorite movies of, the, of all time. I think that's one of uh, almost like a perfect movie, in my opinion. Regardless of how you how you like musicals or not, I love that fucking movie. I love musicals, Little Shop of Horror, um, Grease, um, Hamilton, um, theatrical movies well, well, if you want to go into Rent or whatnot, um, and the list can go on, Sweeney Todd, so on and so forth, you know, Les Mis, you know, I can go into it from there. I love fucking musicals, Fan of the Opera, so on and so forth. Um, but... With those musicals, especially things like Sweeney Todd, um, especially things like Little Shop of Horrors, the music tells a story in the right way, in the right places as well too. You get a fine line of acting that slowly builds up into a song that... You can groove to that. You're that that, that sounds right for the theme of the movie. It tell it drives the plot in a way. Whereas this movie, it, it kind of doesn't do that. I feel like they throw songs for the sake of being there. Um, you see, one of the biggest songs that we get is i um, Saturday" of him uh, being an adolescent turning into an adult in a way, or at least a young adult, and that's supposed to experience the chaotic nature of living in London. And going through the bar scene And the um, dating scene of him being curious Whether he likes girls or guys You see the, the looks he gives both of them And the experimental nature of just drinking And performing And the love of performing Like the metaphors are there But it just feels like it comes out of nowhere There's even dance for scenes Which kind of feels out of place as well too Because at heart you want to see this as a biopic and you're not getting that you're getting some heavy drama that hurts your heart and then you gain a musical number that are like huh i didn't di- get to ju- digest that properly so it plays with your emotions but i i guess not in a good way um you get to see his whole career spanning from touring in the americas um having his his big hits um, his outlandish behavior And producers is telling him to, to be more of a character Than an actual singer or a performer And then you get to see um, Elton wear his elaborate outfits And uh, experiment with drugs And alcohol And being uh, having that selfish behavior While also always looking for love And I think maybe that's The basis of the movie It's just um, Elton and his His want and need for acceptance whether it's acceptance of him being gay, whether it's his acceptance of just being... of Just loving himself um, and not having to look for love from his mother or father or acceptance from friends and family. But just accepting yourself in your own skin and being cookie that way. So it does a great job on those heartfelt parts where you kind of want to be like Bohemian Rhapsody. They're totally two different movies, but I can see where the comparison is. Um, both acted so well, but... If we were gonna do a biopic, I think this would have been a great biopic. I think it would have been it would have been serving everything you wanted from an Elton John biopic. You would have had the story there, the ups and the downs, and the redemption. Whereas if it was strictly a musical, it would have succeeded as well there too. You look at things like Across the Universe, which is a a Beatles musical, if you will, and even with that, there's some story, but the music is what um, drives the plot throughout that whole movie, and it makes sense, you could have done this with this as well too, just a straight musical, um, it would have been okay that way, but I feel like this, this movie wanted to have his cake and eat it, it wanted to serve both, um, the, the, the musical genre and the biopic drama genre as well too, which kind of hurts it, hurts it a lot, especially toward the middle of this movie, um, It does end, you know, spoiler alert, it does end on a positive note, you know, and the whole narrative is just him speaking about his life in rehab, um, and it ends with him coming out of rehab, especially with the song I'm Still Standing, um, which is funny as well, too, because, you know, there's a lot of accurate history with this movie, and there's a lot of accentuated uh, moments as well, too, you know. uh, Elton, I believe, went to rehab in 1989 or 1990, from, like, 1989 to 1991, back and forth. Um, And I believe I'm Still Standing came out in the early 80s, so, you know, music is kind of not... uh, It does not have the right continuity as it should, Um, because for a person who really doesn't know Elton John that well or doesn't uh, follow his songs... um, with, with any kind of continuity, you would have thought that, okay, as soon as he got out of rehab, he did that I'm Still Standing song, that video, and all is well. Which is true. All is kind of well held in John. He went back and forth and had stints in rehab, but he finally was sober, and he has been sober for about 25 years. So, um, you know, there's a lot of great parts to this movie. Like I said, the acting is phenomenal. Some of the songs are great. Um, the I'm Still Standing, they almost do like a reenactment of the video itself. And that's spot on, almost. Um, um, there's parts um, where just beat by beat, um, let me see, what, what, what's the biggest one? The Tribune part of him playing on piano and doing that, doing that um, handstand on the piano almost. Was almost spot on right there. Um, Tiny Dancer was okay. Um, there's a couple of hits there that just feel alright. Um, but not great, so that's why I kind of give it a mid card. It's it's experience to see. I think anybody who is a number one an Elton John fan should see this movie. And number two, um, if you're just curious about a musical about a musical about a one of the greatest songwriter, well, he's not really a songwriter, Bernie is, but performers of all time, um, watch it. Have your own feeling about it. Um, critics do love it. So far, I believe it's at 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, as far as being fresh. Uh, audience score is a little back and forth. I think it's at a like, good 60 or 65, I believe. So, audience is kind of torn with it. Um, I think it, it does suffer, in my opinion, from having this cake and eating it. But, in essence, a good movie. I think you guys should watch it, especially if you're a fan of, of his music. So, that's Rocket Man. Oh, my clothes are to dance. Or as... Uh, My good friend Rudy would say, hold me closer, Tony Danza, which I fucking hate. I hate it when he does that so much. Uh, hold me closer, Tony Danza. That's going to be in your head from now on. All right. So we're done with Rocket Man. Let's talk about the main cuisine right here. The movie that came out last Thursday, Friday, however you want to call it, and it has been Pretty much the talk of the town, whether you like it or not, and most people do not. This is X-Men Dark Phoenix. Oh, boy. All right, guys. We're going to talk about this right here. I love comic books. I love the X-Men. I love the fact that when um, we had X-Men movies that were coming out um, with the year 2000 and on from there... I was hyped because I got to see some of my favorite characters that I grew up with literally at like five years old going to the comic book store and getting the X-Men comic. Um, I just have great memories as a kid collecting X-Men comic books. I'm a huge Cyclops fan. You know, a Boy Scout gone wrong, especially these days. I'm a huge Professor X fan. Um, Magneto to some some extent as well, too. I, I was always fascinated by his character. A character that I was never fascinated with was Jean Grey. I thought that um, even in the comic books, her character is very inconsistent and very confusing as well, too. Especially when you go from the Phoenix Saga to the Dark Phoenix Saga, it's all over the place. But I digress. I love the X-Men. I love it from looking at the X-Men cartoons, especially the animated series from the 90s. Which was a pivotal moment in my childhood because that's what I, I knew that I just I needed to just get in the world of comic books. So, um, that being said, looking at this movie right here, looking at the past movies that came out, I already had low expectations for this movie. Let's talk about it for a second. X-Men Dark Phoenix. It's a 2019 American superhero film based on the comics from Marvel, X Men characters, produced by 20th Century Fox and distributed by Walt Disney Motion Pictures. So Disney did distribute this. It is the 12th installment of the X Men franchise, a direct sequel to X Men Apocalypse back in 2016. And it's the seventh and final installment. In the main X-Men series The film is written and directed by Simon Kinberg And stars an ensemble cast Featuring James motherfucking McAvoy Playing um, Patricia No, playing um, uh, Professor X Michael Fassbender playing Magneto Jennifer Lawrence playing Mystique Nicholas Holt Sophie Turner playing Phoenix herself Jean Grey Uh, And, of course, a a whole ensemble class as well, too, there. Uh, Of course, Jessica Chastain is the main villain of this movie as well, too. Dark Phoenix, the X-Men... In Dark Phoenix, the X-Men must face a full power Jean Grey as she channels in the Phoenix Force after a mission in space goes wrong. So, let's talk about this movie right here. I know a lot of people had a lot of hope when they... Franchise had a soft reboot. I'm gonna take a little swig right here. Hold on. Mm. Hold me closer, Dog Phoenix. Mm. Alright. So, I know people had a lot of high hopes going into these rebooted or soft rebooted X-Men movies. X-Men First Class came out, and although it was very Critically hailed for being very fresh, especially a fresh take on the X-Men characters with James McAvoy and and Fast vendor Bang- playing that that Malcolm X slash Martha Luther King dynamic. Um the X-Men comic books are fantastic, um, showing those um similarities and those metaphors as well too. Um I myself did not enjoy first class. I thought, once again, we're having issues with continuity. I felt like this was a chance to really restart the engines, and we just we didn't get there. We had characters like Banshee and, and Havoc that were start-off characters, and I felt right then and there, it was not meant to be Dune, but I felt like the comic book source history wasn't being taken seriously whatsoever. That they were going to be doing their own things no matter what. Now I know, these are movies. We're not supposed to be taken at heart. They're comic books. If we want to read those stories, we can go ahead and to any comic book store and read them. I understand that. But if we have a second chance to go ahead and do something different, why don't we? I think they were spot on with Fassbender as Magneto and James McAvoy as Professor X. I think both played phenomenal roles in those movies. Um, Jennifer Lawrence, I just did not care for her as Mystique, and after she essentially blew up after the Hunger Games, she never treated that character with, with respect again. So right then and there, it's just setting up for failure, in my in my opinion. Days of Future Past happened, and... I thought that they were making a strong attempt to do something different once again. We got the first class back in a way. We got the the Brotherhood of Mutants in a way. And then we also got the future where we saw the the um early two thousand version of the X Men you know Patrick Stewart and McLean, and even um Hugh Jackman who's in most of that movie as well too. Um President's Wolverine, Halle Berry S Storm, so many other characters and we got a mashup of the like almost like a greatest hits in a way in in that movie. And for what it's worth, it's an okay movie. It's a decent movie. I wouldn't say it's great. I still think that X Two is the best X Men movie ever made still. Um but at the same token, Days of Future Past could be a, a soft second. Um, then came Motherfucker Apocalypse. And, you know, you would have thought, okay, maybe they're, they're they're going their own direction, but they're making strides to be different. They're going through different generations, and they're growing with these characters, you know, from the 60s going into the 70s, with Apocalypse being the 80s. And we get to have some fun different character dynamics. We get to see Jean Grey with Sophie Turner. Come back, and right there, I found that interesting. You know, Sophie Turner, with her fame coming out of Game of Thrones, she she really had the audience behind her. She had the red hair, and just it seemed like a right character. Um, it just I don't know. Um, I never saw her as a leading lady just yet. Maybe with time we will tell with that. But I just I wasn't impressed with her being Jean Grey in, in Apocalypse. Um, Ty Sheridan played Scott Summer Cyclops Who in Apocalypse Said she just felt like he was a nonsensical Character as well too And this is our first interaction with both these characters And there should have been some kind of Romance or Stakes with these characters And wasn't there and it just felt like they dropped The ball so much with Apocalypse Um, Even Apocalypse himself was a horrible Villain someone who's so Iconic in the X-Men lore it just was a ball was just dropped in that movie, and it, it reminded me almost of um, X Men: Last Stand, which is saying something because I hate that movie. I almost walked out of that movie, but I give it love because it's a complex movie. So here we are in Dark Phoenix, and we're kind of retraining the same story that we got in Last Stand in a way. Here's my biggest issue. My biggest issue with this is that in Apocalypse. We have Apocalypse, uh, spoiler alert for anybody who has not fucking seen this. We have Apocalypse getting essentially burned and extinguished from the Phoenix Force that Jean Grey is um, letting out. Uh, Which I have a huge problem with because I felt like that wasn't earned. I felt like it was earned in X2. I felt like we had some seeds of her being unstable. From X1 and X2 kind of paid off. I felt like in Apocalypse we did not get that payoff whatsoever. It was a brand new character essentially for new people to watch. And to see that she comes out of the Phoenix Force and destroys Apocalypse was kind of dumb. And then in this movie, it kind of reboots that. You know, we have the, essentially, this movie is a trailer. Everything you saw from the trailer is in this movie. Like, literally, okay, that's dumb to say. The trailer is the damn movie. Literally. Um, there's everything that you saw in this damn trailer when it came to from point A to point B is basically beat by beat what this movie's about with some filler spots. So there's nothing new that you would be seeing. They go into space, like the trailer shows, for a rescue mission, like the trailer shows. And Jean essentially gets redirect by this cosmic force as the trailer shows. She gets affected by the quote unquote Phoenix Force. And we get this alien race as well too, which I thought were gonna be scrolls at one point, and I, I forget what they're supposed to be. Um, I can get back onto that, right? They were just good his character, but essentially these are aliens that are looking for the Phoenix Force that they want to control it themselves. Um, Just because Chastain's character is called Volk, the leader of a shape-shifting alien race known as uh, the Bari, who manipulates the Phoenix Force. Um, you know, it's she gets the Phoenix Force and she feels good at one point, and then the next point she kind of is unshackles her mind from Professor X, and she remembers all these different fans, uh, these memories of her parents, and she kind of flips out. Um, we kind of re-tread different stories again. We get Jean Grey going back to her her parents' house, and we get that last end as well too. We even get a face off of her and Charles again, and I don't know. It just seems very much like tread in the same water. So it didn't feel new. Um, there's parts where you just don't really care about it. Like maybe less than a half an hour into this movie, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Um, Jennifer Lawrence just dies. You know, she tries to help Jean out. She's like, hey, Jean, you know, I'm part of the X-Men, and, you know, I know Charles is an idiot, um, but, you know, I'll help you out. We'll figure this out together. And Jean kind of explodes, and she sends uh, Mystique into a tree, and she essentially dies. Bada-bing, bada-boom. We all knew that Jennifer Lawrence didn't take this scene seriously, this uh, character serious, especially with the lack of makeup now. They changed her character dramatically. Dramatically, uh, where she even barely even wore any kind of makeup in this movie—just a couple of face paint and some hair dye—and that's about it. Um, so yeah, she's killed off relatively fast. Um, I don't know; just Jean coming to these conclusions and just killing people just seemed left field to me, without any really proper buildup. Um, the only thing that I could say that I enjoyed a tad bit about this movie was maybe Professor X, James McAvoy, Charles' character right there. Um, I did like the spin that Professor X is more of a douche. I like that. And we've been getting that in these movies as well, too, where, you know, he's not the Professor X from the comic books. He's um, a broken version of Professor X, so he's very humanized in a way. He's not the, the leader that everybody sees him has. He's someone that... That after the events of Apocalypse and of, and, of course, after the events of Days of Future Past, he has gotten you to a level where they're accepted by humanity. He's almost a celebrity as well, too. You know, he's shaking hands, kissing babies, promoting the X-Men as, like, this police force. And it's like, yeah, you know, we're here to help everybody out. And basically a, a glorified um, celebrity in a way. Which is weird because everyone else is kind of upset about this. I wish they played more into it, of him being more maniacal in a way, or manipulative in a way, but we don't, which I understand. But I just found that as a nice character development, especially for a character which we all see in Professor X as this humble being that always looks for the betterment of humankind rather than selfish desires. We even get to see drunk Professor X on the couch as well too, which is interesting as well. Um, other than that, this movie really does suck. I give it a... I 86 this movie. It's just above Last Stand. That's really about it. I felt like characters don't, do not have motivation. Maybe Scott's character is a little motivated for Gene. But it's not to the point where we feel affected if anything were to happen to him. Um, Nightcrawler's crawlers Okay. Beast, you know, beast he has that dueling personality of what's right and what's wrong, especially after Mystique dies and he kind of snaps in a way, but you know, everybody has this like moral dilemma with Jean. You know, she, she makes a mistake and instead of people looking out for her best interests, people are like, We need to kill the bitch right now. Beast wants to kill her, Magneto wants to kill her, everybody wants to kill her. Um Professor X kinda wants to save her, Cyclops wants to save her. And you have this bitch, Volk, fucking Jessica Chastain's character, who's manipulating Jean throughout this time, trying to obtain the Phoenix Force as well through, just by hugging her, which is fucking stupid. Um, It all climaxes in, like, a big scene where they're all fighting this alien race on a train that we see in the trailer. And essentially, Jean starts dusting people like Thanos. And she... Flies into space. And almost becomes a literal phoenix. And that's how the movie ends. No lie. Literally, I told you the movie right there. A couple of little parts maybe I missed. You know, there's f- some fun things for comic book fans. Like, instead of the um, Charles Xavier school, they named it the Jean Grey school. Um, which is weird. Because she fucking killed somebody. Um, Beast becomes principal. No way, professor x is just traveling and the scene that looks beat by beat like dark knight rises where we see christian bale and alfred in that place i think i believe is in paris um fucking professor x is in paris sipping on some wine and magneto finds him and i swear to god i thought he was gonna look back and see christian bale waving at him um this movie is not good it's not dirt bad it's just not good It's like there's a lack of a soul in this movie. It's like everybody gave up, even Magneto's character. This is something that's supposed to be held in 1992. Magneto is a World War II baby in a way. You know, someone who's like a a child in World War II. You would think that he would have some gray hair going on, especially in the first X Men movie. He looks like he's 85 years old. This movie, you would have thought that they would have just gave him maybe a longer beard, grayed him out a little bit. But no, he looks like Stepdad Bod you know, coming out farming, looked like a million fucking bucks. So that was just weird. Um, Jennifer Lawrence just looked, she just got a paycheck and left. Um, And everyone else just felt like there was no stakes. For a movie that's the last movie in the X-Men franchise, according to, well, as far as being under the Fox label. A movie that is supposed to be the The quintessential end, you would think that they would have just went all camp And went crazy And just did Just not stupid things, but just all out ridiculous things Just to make this movie fun They didn't, they tried to take a serious gritty take on Jean Grey Which we didn't need If I was directing this I would have went full on camp There is one campy part, they're at a party In the forest and you see Dazzler just dancing Which I found hilarious if we had more of that, I would have loved this movie. Like I said, like if I would have directed, I would have came out with the original theme X-Men animated series theme song. They own the rights, the 20th Century Fox, they own the fucking rights. They could have done it. I would've loved it right there. Um full on camp, you know, just like even giving Gene the outfit, the green and gold, yellow outfit. That would have been fantastic, with at least the, the Dark Phoenix red and gold outfit, that would've been fantastic. You know, just having fun. You know, but they did it. This is a movie that did not take any risks. Knew its lane. And stood there. And that was it. It just gave you what it needed to give you just to finish. Even parts like Bad Example, Twilight, or even better example, Endgame. Endgame is probably a better example, but I'll use Twilight for this. sake of use it for right here. Four movies of fucking Twilight. I believe it's four, right? And that last movie... They gave you a montage of every single damn character that contributed to this movie. Those movies. Every single damn character. Whoever was dead from start to finish from the fucking mailman or not. They gave you at least a shiny moment. Endgame did too to some extent. But I feel like Twilight did it a little bit better. Because it literally gave everybody a chance to get some shine. And you would have thought in a movie like this. They would have done the same exact thing. Especially with all the history of all these X-Men characters. With Ian, Patrick, and of course Hugh Jackman, and everybody that was involved with all these movies. You know, Alan Cumming playing the original Nightcrawler or whatnot, and maybe just doing a retrospective look on all their careers and giving thanks to you know, almost what, two decades of movies. And just having that caveat there. But no, they didn't. It just ended off and literally flew off into obscurity just like fucking Gene did. And for the most part, I'm happy because now i reverse reversed to Disney and in a couple years, we'll get to see the X-Men done properly. You know, the good thing about these X-Men movies is that they did not use a lot of the source material, and a lot of the storylines to really make good X-Men movies. You know, we're missing House of M and Age of Apocalypse and things of that nature. So things like that could be done well. Where and even things like the Savage Line could be done, which I'll love as well too. But um, it's just it's sad to see all the hard work that's been done in the past twenty years. Of these movies, almost twenty years of these movies, and ends off with this. And I know, I know, there's like, there's one more movie, Val. You know, there's the um, New Mutants movie that's coming out. But even that's not even connected to this universe. So. This is supposed to be the definitive last movie of the prime X-Men franchise. And it was a disappointment. It currently is the lowest ranked and rated X-Men movie to date. Um, They tried to hype this up so much and just nothing came out of it. And there's a lot to blame. Everybody's blaming different people. Everybody's blaming Sophie Turner, which I don't think she's that bad of a gene. She's not captivating. She's not bad. It's just she's not captivating. You know, there's stars in this movie that could have gone the extra mile but they didn't james mcavoy brilliant but all i'm thinking about is patricia now you know michael fassbender has lost his star luster since all the failing movies that he's done with alien uh alien and um prometheus and um assassin's creed so it's like does the the mystique if you will no pun intended of these movies is gone in a way where it needed a revamp, and we're gonna get it. Just had to see it end this way. But yeah, that's my uh, review for it. I eighty six this movie. I wish I could even gave it a mid card, but uh, it just doesn't even require another viewing. It's a movie that had potential to do something different, had potential to go crazy, had potential to to give its own version of a of a bookend to the series. And did not. It did bare minimum. And that's what this that's that's what's disappointing. At least with Last Stand they took risks. They gave us a Juggernaut looking stupid. You know, they gave us a version of a Sentinel that's kinda of like the comic book version as well too in the training room. You know, they have Wolverine's whole adamantium skeleton almost ripped off by Gene at one point. So there's some parts in X-Men last stand that kind of it's fun at least. This movie's not fun. And this is a soul, and this is a heartbeat, and this is and this is what actually makes x men fantastic., it just it's a lot of forced humor, a lot of forced agenda, and yeah, now it's forced out, so yeah, that's my review of the Dark Phoenix right there, so anybody who wants to watch that dumpster fire watch it. You know, if you're a comic book fan, go for it. You know, I'm a comic book fan, and I saw it. I saw it on Thursday. It was hell for me to watch it. Jake, if you're out there, you know what I'm talking about. But um, disappointing. That's really about it, guys. That's all I have for this podcast right here. Um, I'm going to try to do this, a couple of different segments coming out. I know I wanted to do a couple music segments. I know I wanted to go into news or whatnot, but I thought this was pretty sufficient. A couple of movie reviews, a couple of TV and video game reviews, and call on the day. If you guys did like this, please let me know. If you guys like the bumpers, if you hate the bumpers, please let me know. Any feedback is great feedback when it comes to doing this craft right here. Um, Sideshow Conversations. It is on the Twitter at Uncanny underscore V. It is on the um, Instagram at Sideshow Conversations as well as Facebook at Sideshow Conversations where you do neat things like uh, Comic Book of the Week or um, going back into music history from Tower Records and things of that nature. So fun little stuff to see on Instagram on Facebook. Um, if you want to follow Sideshow Conversations, it is on Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, it is also on different other outlets like PodBeam FM, uh, Podcast Republic, and different outlets like that. Um, if you want to follow me on the uh, the Instagram, it is at uh, Val Cisco, and of course on Facebook at Val Cisco as well too. Um, yeah, get at me if you guys want to play games once, once, one more time, or just like review some games with me. Maybe do a live broadcast of certain games, tournaments, and whatnot. Um, the suplex Rex. Um, yeah, so hopefully, you guys did enjoy this. If this was the worst one and you guys wanted me to go back to the old format, please let me know. Good criticism or any kind of criticism is good criticism to me. Um, yeah. So thank you guys again for tuning in to Sideshow Conversations, episode two. Me doing it dolo. I know I don't have anybody to play off of. It's just me and my awkward, cringy purse of fuckingality drinking whiskey. Um, yeah, as always, keep your mind out of the gutter, but keep your eye on the side.